Welcome back, everyone. I'll do my little motion, if you like. If it works to have your video on, it's nice to be able to see people. So I'll continue uh, today with the theme of developing the quality of inquiry or investigation, which is a wonderful quality to have in our practice. It can be very uh, creative. It can bring a lot of uh, life and energy to our practice. If, if, uh, if we ha sometimes have a sense that the practice is a little bit dull or I'm just sort of sitting in a sort of vague way with my breath or the primary object, uh, bringing in the quality of investigation or inquiry brings more, can bring more energy, more activity, more, more life. And there are some challenges with it that we looked at last time that I'll bring up again as well. And the framework that I'm bringing in the quality of inquiry investigation in is the framework of the seven factors of awakening, traditional teaching from the Buddha. He said that they're a group of seven factors, which we've looked at uh, several times in the last uh, few weeks, um, seven factors which will lead to awakening. Awakening is what we want, right? So listen carefully, <laughs> right? So they, these are the um, seven factors and we probably could add others, but they, you know, um, uh, there, there are seven that are listed and they're, they're given really in three sets. The first is mindfulness, which the Buddha says is always valuable. And this is connected with having um, clear attention as to what's happening in the present moment. We've looked at that in a previous session. I think most of us know the all of the um, Wednesday mornings are on the website uh, Dharma Seed, uh, D H A R M A S E E D. Uh, was it dot, is it dot com? I think it's dot com, um, and you can find the talks either under the link for Wednesday Talks, or you can also find it under the names of the individual teachers. So if you go to Teachers and choose my name, you'll get um, my talks, which, are, which can be arranged in terms of theme or arranged alphabetically. In any case, the ones from the past uh, are accessible. You can listen to them, you can download them, and so forth. And so... So there are these three, three groups in the teaching of the seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness is always valuable. And then the other two sets give us a set, uh, give us one set, which is very valuable to use when we're in need of energy. This is where inquiry or investigation comes in. And the other set is what to do when there's kind of like too much energy and we need to stabilize some. So we have the... Uh, set of what we might call the energizing factors, uh, the first of which is uh, usually translated as investigation, sometimes inquiry. Uh, Dhamma vichaya is the word in the Pali, D H 
A M M A V I C A Y A. And the other two are generally having energy. So, you know, another instruction would be what to do to increase energy in the system. And the third of the energizing factors is joy or rapture. That actually bringing about more joy and rapture in the system can also be very helpful for our practice. You know, if we're feeling a little bit stuck or low energy, do something which brings about joy. You know, be with beauty, you know, dance or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and then the three stabilizing factors are tranquility or calm. The second is concentration, having a concentrated mind. And the third is equanimity. And together, it's a nice set, you know, and as we'll see when we, when we look at different forms of uh, inquiry, as, I, as, we, as we did in the guided meditation, we can work with a teaching and, you know, use the teaching to give us guidance in our, both our formal practice as well as our everyday life practice. And so one way we can work with these seven factors of awakening is to ask which of these are developed now, which of them are not. Am I more low energy? My energy is a little bit stuck? Or am I more restless and sort of my energy is a little bit um, out there, not so contained so well? And again, what will let us know what to do is going to be the factor of mindfulness. So it's said that mindfulness, always valuable. The others use selectively when the moment is right, you know, when the conditions are right. And I'll just give some encouragement from the Buddha. Those who fully cultivate the factors of awakening, the Buddha says, are luminous and completely liberated in this life. So that's the promise. Okay. Anyone want luminosity? Okay, it looks like about most of us. Anyone want complete liberation? Okay. Okay, most of us. Okay, so um, this is where the, you know, this is one way to work with the practice. Uh, so let's see. wanted to say some words, continuing what I said last time, one of the reasons why inquiry or investigation can be a little bit tricky is that it uses the active mind. And for many of us, we came to meditation to, maybe initially, to discourage the active mind, to have the active mind not be so active, right? To have the mind be more quiet. And so using inquiry or investigation often isn't something we do right at the beginning of practice. I know for me in my practice, I had to learn to really track my really, really active mind. And I've sometimes mentioned how I come from a family of planners. And when I first started meditating, I would be like planning, you know, two thirds of the time when I meditated, right? And, you know, it was... Uh, I got the message pretty quickly that I was a planner and I, I knew, you know, I knew that we were planners in our family. But um, 
there was a way that I had to, uh, in a way, come to grips with the really active, overly busy mind before I could really um, use the active mind also as a tool, right? Does that make some sense? That And so see where you are in that. And that's, that's both something generally in our over the years. And it's also something to look at in the moment. You know, again, related to what I said earlier, when is inquiry investigation wise? When the mind is all over the place and really, really busy, generally not the best time to use inquiry or investigation. When there's some quiet or you can uh, sit for a while and let there be some, some degree of tranquility or stability. And there's, you know, there's, um, you know, either you want to bring the inquiry for something which is arising in the moment or something which is just there in your life that could bear some, uh, bear some further clarity. That would be a good time to you to use, um, to use inquiry. But it's, um, the, what's helpful to see about inquiry or investigation is that we are using the active mind, the mind that's, uh, you know, we're, we are using thinking for the purposes of clarity and insight. And that we can, and that there are a number of ways that we can use um, um, the active mind in this way that can be really, really helpful. So some of us may initially have had the conception, you know, that meditation means we just shut down the active mind. And maybe, you know, we, we I don't know if it's shutting down is the right word, but we, we limit it in the beginning just so we can have, have some space. But then once we develop some stability of mind, some concentration, in a way we can bring it back and use the active mind in a skillful way, not automatic, out of control, but use it in a skillful way. Ask these kind of questions, you know, look, you know, or say to myself, oh, let me look at how this is occurring right now in the body. That's a use of the mind, right? How is this? How, you know, what's going on in the body? Okay. Okay. Let me notice my emotion right now. Let me just stay with it and notice if it changes. In other words, we're kind of coaching ourselves. It's a use of, of the active mind. That can be really, really skillful. You know, um, you know, it's, you know, one of, one of my teachers um, calls it coming kind of from a, a, a meta level place, M-E-T-A. It's coming from a, a level that above our experience, looking down at our experience. That can be, that can be really, really helpful. So just to know that, um, you know, sometimes we hear critiques of all the thinking. We find that in some meditative traditions. I think I quoted uh, um, uh, one of the Zen teachers uh, from the 6th century, Sengstan, who said, um, the more you talk and think about it, the further astray you wander from the truth. <laughs> right? So... Uh, Stop talking and thinking and there is nothing you will not be able to know, right? So that's, that's maybe one, one way of saying it. Or, you know, that's useful within a context, but I think there's also a great value in being able to actually um, use the mind, ask questions that can be generative, okay? And again, it can be, it can be very, uh, very energizing, 
you know, in my own experience, I found that using inquiry really came to life at the point where it was possible for me to be with a relatively silent mind, at least at times. You know, to have that capability, then I could use, then I could really know the difference between using the mind for distraction and using the mind for inquiry. That's a very important distinction. And so see if you can know that in your own experience. You know, when am I just distracting or think overly thinking something out or just using habits? And when am I using inquiry or investigation um, not automatically or out of habit, but because it's a skillful and wise thing to do in the moment? So last time I mentioned uh, five ways of practicing inquiry, and we probably could add uh, others. And I want to take us through these. And last time, if you remember, I named all five of them, and then we covered two of them. That leaves me three for today that we want to that we want to bring in. But I'll I'll review what we did with the first two, and we and we actually worked with uh, two of the five in the guided practice. Okay, and so and I'll. I'll likely even, as we go through this, not just talk, but stop and let us actually explore using these forms of inquiry. I'm going to bring in some forms of inquiry that don't come directly from the Buddha. You know, some that are really uh, valuable, some that I've actually developed myself. And so just to know that I think all of the forms can be some version of them can be found um, in certainly in the Buddhist tradition, but some of these that I'll that I'll bring in um, come under the rubric of one of the methods, but they're not strictly speaking from from the historical Buddha. Some of them are, you know. Um, so the first way, uh, I'll, maybe I'll mention the five, and then we'll go through them. The first two briefly. The first is what we explored in the guided meditation. This is essentially using mindfulness to see what's present, but using inquiry or investigation to take us more, more deeply, to say, you know, very much like we did in the guided practice, you know, we notice, uh, you know, a mix of thoughts and emotions occurring, and then we say, let me just be with this, and see clearly what's happening. We can use inquiry to say, what's going on in the body right now? Let me stay with it. That's inquiry. That's a form of inquiry. Very simple. Okay, what are the emotions? Let me be with that. Okay, what, how are the emotions changing? You know, if, if I'm experiencing anger and I stay with that, oh, does it shift to sadness? Oh, interesting, right? Right, and so that's the first kind. I'll come back to that briefly. The second is what I call deep listening. And this is particularly when there's maybe some, the, the form that I talked about last time, is when there's some kind of knot in the mind or we're a little bit stuck. And we, um, and this also could be used when we're with another person. Can I deeply listen? to what's there for me. Let's say my mind is going round and round with some storyline. 
one practice is that we used last time, can I actually go into my body and feel what's there as a way of getting beneath the repetitive thinking? You know, and I'll, I'll come back to that. And then the third we, we explored in the guided practice, this is using a teaching to guide us in our practice. It's, use, it's developing a form of inquiry based on, on being guided by a particular teaching, like the one we looked at in the guided meditation, really comes from the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, but it would be the teaching, if there's uh, suffering or difficulty or stuckness, where's the attachment? Or can you feel the attachment? That practice that I was given by Joseph Goldstein when I was first starting, starting out. We can, and I'll bring in, and I'll talk about that in more depth and talk about ways to use different teachings, including the seven factors. And that could be very interesting. I've done that personally a lot in my practice. The fourth is, um, I'm going to call it radical questioning. It can be, can be done in different ways. It's a very interesting form. It can be done by asking the same question over and over again to oneself periodically. You know, one, one question that I was given, you know, by one teacher a long time ago, but I used it for like a week-long retreat, was he's, the question is, how am I free? How am I not free? And that depended on my mind being pretty quiet, but I sat with that question for a week. Very interesting. So there are a lot of forms. We'll bring in some forms, different forms. And then the last one is using inquiry to discover what we might call limiting beliefs or unconscious, fairly habitual beliefs that are beneath the surface. So we could say that that last form is using inquiry to go beneath the surface to open up to what is more unconscious. So you can see inquiry is a very broad area and it can play a large role in our practice. And it's um, probably, I don't know, I don't know if I can really say this accurately, but my sense is that uh, a lot of these forms are not taught so much. You know, especially when we do mindfulness, it can just be, okay, just continue to be mindful. But maybe I'll, I'll hold back from any speculation there. Okay, so the first form, and when in, you know, some of us may have uh, practiced this in the last week, because we looked at this last time. The first is really using mindfulness to look more deeply. It's as simple as that. And it can be, again, supported by asking the question, you know, we can start by saying, what's happening right now? And this is particularly useful when our experience gets a little more complex, when we have, you know, some mix of thought, emotion, you know, the body doing its thing. Maybe when we remember, again, something challenging or difficult that happened yesterday or the day before, uh, you know, or it could be something ongoing relation, relationally, and we can just, um, when it occurs in the moment, we can look carefully at it. We can also sometimes deliberately bring it up when the mind is fairly quiet. That's an important prerequisite. When the mind is fairly quiet, we can sometimes deliberately go into territory. Not typically done with most mindfulness instructions, but that is something 
that can be done, especially when we um, have some stability of mind. So when it occurs in the moment, again, we could say, you know, suppose I start, you know, I get caught up in thinking about what happened two days ago. And I'm, you know, getting into whatever, being blaming or judging. And then I notice, oh, oh, Donald, you're, you're being blaming and judgmental. And I say, yes, you're right, Donald. And, and then I, um, I say, okay, let me just be with it. Let me notice it. Let me note, okay, let me just note, let me, let me calm down a little bit. Okay, let me just notice. Okay, okay let me just be with the body for a while. Maybe we make a little note. Yeah, it's kind of agitated. A lot of, lot of energy moving through. We st can stay with that, really track the body. And then we might say, okay, let me touch the emotion. Oh. Somewhat angry, irritated. Oh, let me stay with that. Oh. Yeah, again, it's kind of my body is a little bit tense. I can notice that too. Oh, let me do that. Okay, let me let me notice what's the storyline. What a what's my narrative? Oh, that person messed up, or you know whatever I say, could be the expression of being judgmental. You know that person is not this or that, whatever. And just let okay, let me just name that. And then we can stay with it further, right? We can also do something like that if we bring it up deliberately. You know, it could be maybe at the end of a sitting, a little bit like what we did ourselves uh, today. And um, again, we're not, uh, this is not about trying to figure things out, but it's really using uh, inquiry to guide our looking at our direct experience. That's a way to, to clarify it. If you use this and notice yourself getting into repetitive thinking or trying to figure it out, let go of that and just come back to being present. That would be, with inquiry, the danger, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if I'd call it a danger, but a, something that can happen is that we go into trying to figure it out. And it's kind of inevitable that that'll happen sometimes, but just when you notice that, uh, good to let go of it, because we're really trying to have insight come from looking at direct experience. And it's not that we're, you know, it's not that we do this for a few minutes and we're supposed to have insight of how to deal with this relationship, right? Okay, three minutes of inquiry and I have clarity about this, you know, 10-year relationship. No, it doesn't quite work like that, right? But it's really, um, it's more that we, we have insight and actually uh, the insight and the learning often come from doing this many times. So that's, that's helpful to bring in. This isn't about a one-time thing and we're supposed to get it, but it really can be something that we do numerous times. And if we can do something like this, not just in formal meditation, but during the day, it can be really, really, it can, again, our practice can come alive if we can pause during the day, you know, I notice myself getting worked up about what happened and I notice that and then say, and if we can, just stop and pause and stay with it, right? Pausing during the day in terms of our daily life practice 
is a really crucial practice. You know, just stopping and looking. It's, you know, it's hard to do with the momentum of daily life, right? That's hard to do. But, you know, you could really make a, make a vow even for the next week. I'm going to pause three times a day when stuff comes up. You know, so, and you don't have to pause for very long. It could just be a minute or something. But that's, that's a really valuable, that's a really valuable tool. Then the second form of inquiry that I looked at is what I called uh, deep listening. You know, and this could be, um, this could be applied um, listening to another person, really listening. Can I listen beneath the surface? Not so much with the words, you know, and this, this moves into the territory of, of really of empathy. Can I, um, can I listen for what's important for this person? You know, or what's really happening there, not, you know, outside of my own interests and preferences. You know, maybe we'll come back to that, you know, and give more depth in terms of the interpersonal practice. But because that, that I think could use some more guidance than I want to give right now. The practice that I gave last time was one that I call the dropping down practice. And this is where, uh, particularly when I'm caught up in something more mental, when I'm just going in mental loops. Does anyone ever go in just in mental loops for a while? Okay, I think so. Very, very common human experience. And if I notice myself caught in a loop, a repetitive loop, uh, this is when the dropping down practice can be helpful. It does require the mind being, uh, being quiet. So it's a little bit better to do sometimes could be good to do at the end of a meditation. When we get good at it, we can do it in the moment. And what this practice is, is we notice ourselves going in a loop. We stop for a while. And we see if we can actually bring the attention into the body. It's basically using the body as an access route for seeing what's beneath the surface beneath the surface of the thoughts. So let's say, you know, I'm going over and over again with something that happened yesterday. I notice that and I've uh, done this practice some. In my experience, this is not, I have to say, it's not really a beginning practice. It takes some uh, doing it quite a number of times before for some of us. If we've done a lot of body-based practices, this will come more quickly to you. If you do a lot of yoga, and really are very, can easily go to body awareness, this will work uh, more quickly. If that's not the case, it can take some time to develop. And anything we do that supports uh, the ability to have body awareness will be helpful. So here, I would be notice myself going over and over again, and I would just stop. And then I say, let me just be aware, almost of my upper body, and sometimes I keep the... Um, uh, center of awareness in the center of the chest in a light way, and I just say, let you know, let me just be here for a minute or two, and see what surfaces. Sometimes nothing will surface. When I've when I'm good at this, when I've done it a lot, I can sometimes notice my uh, you know my thoughts going round and round. I go into the body, and you know, the body is very connected also with the 
access to the emotions and I'll just go into the body, go into the center of my chest and I'll very quickly know, oh, I'm really angry. <laughs> and I, I didn't quite know that going around in circles with the thoughts, right? And then I could actually feel the body and so forth. So that's sometimes helpful. Um, you know, again, this is a, a practice which does take uh, repetition, but sometimes we can actually touch the emotion that we can really touch what's driving the repetitive thoughts. Most repetitive thoughts, and I would include this for me, I developed this coming out of uh, working with the judgmental mind and people blaming and judging or myself doing that. And what I found was those repetitive thoughts were nearly always driven by unacknowledged or unprocessed pain which when I drop down, I can often touch that, you know, you know, you know, some interaction is, oh, you know, I'm going round and round with the commentary. I go into the body and I say, oh, that didn't feel good. Mm. Very simple, you know, very simple insight. That can sometimes be there when we drop down. So maybe I'll come back to that in, in more depth uh, another, another time, because again, it's, um, it's, um, it can take some, repetition. So if you're doing that, be patient. You know, when I first did it, I was doing it in a retreat. I was doing it like uh, 10 or 20 times a day, right? And it still took several weeks before I really got the hang of it. So just to, just to let you know that. Okay. The... <clears throat> The third form of inquiry is one that we did look at. This is using a teaching to help guide one's inquiry. And again, I'm, I'm realizing I'm giving multiple forms of inquiry. All you need is one of them, one or two of them, <laughs> right? Uh, but I'm giving them and see which of them resonate with you. Uh, you know, I'm not saying do all of these, but I'm, I'm giving us exposure to them and we might find, you know, the mindfulness is always going to be valuable. That's a foundational form of inquiry. The others of them see what resonate with you, what you'd like to try out. Working with a teaching is a very, uh, very simple way to practice that we can do both in daily life and in informal meditation. You know, the one we worked with today was, as I mentioned, was one that uh, I was given right, you know, long time ago, beginning of my practice, I was in my 20s, and Joseph Goldstein said, you know, work with this. If there's suffering, where's the attachment? That's all he said. He didn't give me a 45-minute talk about inquiry. <laughs> he, just, uh, he just said, do that. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I did it. I, it was a, a main practice. I used it for a year. And I'd just be around my, you know, apartment at the time, uh, living there. I think that's when I think we had a person. That's when I think I was living in uh, the Boston area in Brookline for a while. For, we had one person from Brookline. And, um, and I would just be walking around and something would happen and I'd feel some, you know, kind of some internal struggle or suffering. And then I say, okay, where's the attachment? And I almost always could find something, you know, find some place. I was stuck, you know, that happened, I didn't want it to happen, I'm attached to it not happening, or whatever. And it was a really, it's a very, very simple practice. And then again, like I said, you can 
get in touch with um, where there's some attachment. But it's really useful, you know, maybe you're at a meeting, you know, and you start getting, notice yourself getting reactive. And then you say, okay, I'm getting reactive. I'm suffering a little bit. Where's the attachment? Oh, I wanted the meeting to go this way, and it's not going this way, right? That's It's as simple as that, right? Or, you know, I wanted this person to do that. The person didn't do it. And I'm starting to get into an inner struggle. And, you know, what it what the uh, practice with that teaching does, it lets us um, realize that we're attached to it. And then, you know, from there we can go in different directions. I might go and to say at the meeting, yeah, um, you know, having that outcome is important to me, but I can I don't need to be quite so tight about it. I might, that's that's where I might go. It doesn't mean, like I said earlier, it doesn't mean giving up what I want to happen at the meeting. It doesn't mean anything goes, right? But it means that uh, being tight about it is generally not going to be so skillful, right? That if I'm really tight and attached to it, I'm going to probably, you know, do things which are, you know, could come out of reactivity, you know, blame people with my tone of voice or whatever. And so it's mostly, you know, in that situation, it's letting me know that there's some tightness. And then, you know, intuitively, my wisdom can say, you know, let's, um, you know, let's still go for the outcome you want, but, um, you know, realize that it may not happen, but do your best, right? And be friendly, empathic, whatever. Because out of the attachment or the tightness will come reactivity. Does that, does that make some sense? So it's kind of very valuable. We can use it in a meeting context. We can use it just, you know, at any moment when we notice reactivity. We notice uh, some struggle. Um, you know, what am I attached to? Again, what I'm, what I'm attached to could be something that's really valuable that I don't want to give up. But the general teaching is that grabbing hold in a tight way is actually not skillful and not even a great way to have happen what you want to happen. Right? So again, there are a lot of subtleties with that, but maybe maybe that's enough with that teaching. We can use um, plenty of other teachings. We could use, you know, the the teaching, remember that teaching called the two arrows? How many people, I, I use it a lot, right? How many people know that teaching? Okay, that was the teaching which basically says, when we have something unpleasant occur to us, we will tend to be reactive. It's, you know, the Buddha's model was, uh, you know, I have something unpleasant happen. That's like being shot by the first arrow. What I'll tend to do is because of the first arrow, I will tend to shoot a second arrow, we would say at myself or at others. Someone says something nasty to me, I say something nasty right back. That's shooting the second arrow. You know, I uh, am walking in my house, and I trip over, um, I trip over my son's shoe, and I kind of strain my, you know, strain my leg. And when I see my son, I yell at him. I blame him. That's shooting the second arrow, right? And the, um, you know, the the teaching is that there are tendencies when we're shot by the first arrow. We may have a lot of habits that lead us to shoot the second arrow but we don't have to do it. We can learn not to do it. And, and so we can use this teaching, especially 
when we have something that's a little painful happen. And I've sometimes mentioned that when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, probably the most common guidance I give is, yeah, you've had something difficult just happen, or you're going through, a, you know, there's some pain there. Watch your tendencies to shoot the second arrow. You know, blame yourself, blame someone else, you know, um, react in some way, try to soothe it with food or whatever, alcohol or whatever right, that uh, one can watch those tendencies. And that's, like I say, that's the most common guidance I give to people going through a difficult time. Uh, I mean, I would say other things, but that's watch the shooting of the second arrow. So that would be working with a teaching also, you know, saying I'm going through, there's some difficulty here that, or that's painful. Watch my tendency to blame myself, blame someone else, lash out, react in some way. That would be also that working with that particular teaching. And again, we could work with the seven factors teaching. We could say, uh, what's happening right now? Which of these am I strong in? Which am I weak in? Which are good to develop right now? That can be a beautiful way. I mean, we could, we could work with a particular teaching, let's say for a week. You'll write it down, put it in... You know, if you put things on your refrigerator, write down the teaching, you know, remember the intention, say, I'm going to work with this. You know, I'm going to work with that teaching about if there's suffering, where's the attachment? So it can be, can be a lot of fun. So that's the, that's the third form of inquiry. See, these are pretty straightforward, aren't they? They're not, these are not complicated or, you know, involve real deep, subtle teachings. It's really more applying and all, uh, working with teachings is a wonderful way to work in daily life also. You know, to work with these, remember them at the beginning of the day. Okay, the fourth, the fourth form of inquiry is um, called radical questioning. And this is uh, asking a very simple question. This is used in a lot of spiritual traditions. Some of you know in the... Um, Hindu Advaita Vedanta tradition, some of you know the name Ramana Maharshi, he would have people practice and just sit there and ask, who am I? Over and over again, who am I? You know, and the, the purpose here, when you ask that enough and the mind quiets down, it leads to looking beneath the surface and it looks to, you know, and... Um, that that's used in one tradition. I mentioned I was given this practice. This came, you know, 15 years into my practice by a teacher. He gave me the practice uh, to ask the question, how are you free? Or how am I free? How am I not free? And I would just, you know, basically let my mind settle down. I would usually meditate, let it settle when it was pretty quiet. I would sit there and I would ask that question to myself, maybe, you know, every three or four minutes, something like that. And I just let it sit with me. How am I free? How am I not free? And sometimes what would come to mind would be, uh, you know, I'm not free when I get really caught in habits. You know, and I so I'd have some answers to the question. I'm not free when I... Um, you know, I'm not free when I am um, caught in blaming or judging, you know, or something like that. And I, would, I came to different answers, and I stayed with this for about a week. 
And it was a very interesting experience. I don't know if I've shared this. I don't, I've shared, I don't think I've shared this in this uh, Wednesday morning. But about a week into it, I, a lot of the times it was really fun because I would, I would wander around in the woods. This was in uh, Massachusetts at the Insight Meditation Society. And I'd wander around in the woods and just ask this question. It's kind of a, not a bad way to spend time. And I would ask the question. And then, you know, one point, I think it was like a week into it, I just had the insight, I'm free. And I shouted out in the forest, I'm free. And I, you know, just kind of did, I probably did some dancing and danced all around. And, um, you know, I, you know, in some ways I touched a core, a core freedom, right? Didn't mean it lasted, but there was some, it was, um, it was a powerful experience. I don't know if I've done it justice just now in, in the, the story, but uh, there was something that was uh, very beautiful came out that was the fruit of asking that question for a week, right? So there were, you know, let's just say that it seemed like I kind of broke to a deeper level, okay? So that, that would be a use. And, um, you know, in, um, in some Zen practice, when, again, when people have done it for a while, they, this is reported by uh, Stephen Batchelor. This is used in Korean Zen. The practitioners would sit there and just ask the question, what is this? What is this? Over and over again. Does that appeal to you? <laughs> anyway, maybe not, but, um, uh, but it's, it's a way, it's kind of similar to my, um, you know, how am I free question. And, and, you know, people would stay with it. And, you know, it's a little bit like the Zen koan where you ask it enough and it, it kind of go, it kind of cuts through ordinary thinking. That's one way of talking about it. And there's, um, I'll, I think I'm just going to finish with one other method. I'm not going to get to my, um, maybe I'll mention two more forms of radical inquiry and then maybe I'll, uh, radical questioning. One, some of you may know the uh, diamond approach. Anyone know the diamond approach? Some of you do, probably. And in the diamond approach, they use a method that also is called inquiry of repetitive questions that uh, can be valuable. It would be something like uh, uh, I'd be with a partner and the partner would ask me, you know, how are you wise? You know, and I would say, I'm wise when I listen to my own intuition. And then the person would say, Thank you. How are you wise? And then I would that I would say I'm I'm wise when I'm not in a rush. You know. Thank you. How are you wise? <laughs> and it, it it often goes on for ten minutes like that. And the idea is it's pretty interesting, you know, to do that in practice. And actually a number of spirit rock teachers use that method. What it does is it actually, you know, the first few answers are, are a little bit you know, come from your thinking, but then as you do it more, it goes to a deeper level, kind of comes more out of unconscious material. You know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to come back to some other forms of radical questioning, but I think I'm going to reserve that for next time, because I want to um, leave time for us to talk together. So I've said a lot, I'm going to I'm going to talk more about radical questioning, but I want to have enough time to do it justice. So I, 
I think I'm going to do that when I come back the next time, which will be, I think, what was it, February 2nd. So let's, um, let's sit just for a moment. I've given a fair amount of information, but let it settle. See what resonates with you. What might you like to explore? And then do you have any questions or any reflections, any sharing you'd like? Maybe you've done something like this. Just sit for another minute or so, see what's there. Anything you'd like to ask about, look into more deeply, share. So thanks, we have um, a few people. Carlita, do you know who is uh, first in terms of the order? We have three people who want to share. Yes, I see Amy is next. Okay, great. Is it Amy and then Nancy and then Isabel? Exactly. Okay, great. Great, yeah, you're still muted. There you go. There you go. I think we got it. Yeah. Thank you. Your, your offerings are like stars in the sky, and a few of them have descended. Um, last week, you gave me a suggestion to be mindful in front of my resistance when I felt that I was at a limit that I don't pass, um, sort of beyond my known self there's a, a pushing back and I I sat with that for days and the first thing that I felt is that I needed a new understanding of an old word mm. and that's mindfulness mm. that staying in front and not doing and not you know that there's a deeper understanding for me of that word Hmm. so that was that was a gift um and then what i i saw was that there's this sneaky desire to get somewhere Hmm. you know why don't i want to get beyond this limit i want you know i desire something beyond my form that that perhaps is a real desire but um it's also just a subconscious belief maybe Mm -hmm. or ideal yeah 
Yeah. Um, can I respond now? Yes, please. Yeah. I think what's what's most important, Amy, and I'm really hearing it, is that, is that you're looking carefully. You know, and that and and it's almost like the looking is its own gift. You know, that you're you're seeing things, you're noticing that tendency to want to get somewhere, right? Mm. And that's that's crucial to notice. And then, because I'm hearing that, uh, tell me if this is accurate. That I'm I'm sensing that um, when you see that, there could be some way that you let go of it a little bit, and just are with what's happening. Yeah, right. Mm. That's the challenge. I mean, to always understand that the present moment is not, you know, above, beyond, <laughs> between. Yeah. I, I also like the way that um, you, you've practiced with mindfulness for some time, but you're almost like seeing it in a different way. I think it's, it's also, yeah. it's a fruit of inquiry also. You know, that where we kind of look with fresh eyes because we're looking, mm -hmm. looking more carefully and we realize, oh, maybe with the way I used mindfulness in the past, I was trying to get somewhere. And now I'm a little bit more radically in the present. And that's, um, that's actually very, um, very significant. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing. Mm. I think we had Nancy... And then, uh, was it uh, Isabel and then Vivian? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be actually Nancy, then Vivian. Okay, maybe Isabel's pulled back. That's okay. Um, Nancy, please. <coughs> um, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, Donald, the thing that really, really resonated with me today is about pausing. Yeah. I know cognitively to pause, but when I'm in the heat of the moment, a handful of times as you were talking in the last five years came across my memory banks, and I've injured a friendship because I didn't pause yeah. and handle things appropriately, and I'm embarrassed about it. Yeah. I recently tried pausing with a really heated moment and it was like wrestling down a, you know, wild dog, but I did it. Yeah. And, but I, I, even though I, I know, I, I need to remember to remember. So I am going to take on your practice of trying pausing three times a day. Yeah. I, I've got, I need to build the muscle. Because in the heat of the moment, I forget to pause, and it's had damaging results. Yeah. And I'm—I've been around this a long time. I'm—I'm I'm embarrassed, but it's the truth. Yeah. And I—I want to, so I want to try taking that on. That's great. I—I th I think this is um, probably close to universal. So I think I'm—I'm uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking at gallery mode now, but I'm going to do that for a moment. Uh, how many people can relate to what uh, Nancy was saying? Okay. That's, that's, look around, <laughs> that's very important. Um, and you know, what's, what occurred to me, I think the, um, the practicing, or the, you know, the pausing three times a day, I've often thought that we, we focus a little bit too much 
just on individual silent sitting practice? What would it be like if every morning you did a role play with another person or even kind of imagined a role play where you practice pausing? You know, where you actually did a five minute role play or, you know, in which you were involved in some difficult situation and you actually paused and you did that every morning. I think we would really uh, be much better supported to do the actual pause in the heat of the moment, right? So even, you know, if, if you want to do that at home, you know, or do it on the telephone with a friend or something, but actually practice pausing, do a role play. You know, you know I know from my teaching of wise speech retreats and, and other, other ways of offering that, we do role plays a lot and they're really, really helpful for this sort of thing, you know, for pausing in the moment. Because if you actually, you know, just imagine doing for one week, doing five minute pause practice every morning, you're going to remember. When you do that, you imagine a difficult situation that you've been in. Yeah, you could either imagine it and do like a role play in your mind, or you could actually be on the telephone with a friend or someone okay. in your household and just, yeah, yeah, describe it. If you're doing a role play with an actual person, describe a situation, have the other person, you know, maybe it's someone says something, you know, that triggers you. And, uh, you know, you give the instruction for the other person in the role play. Okay, I want you to say this, and then I'm going to experience what I experience, but you know you're going to bring the pause into operation when that's said. Notice the triggering, and then, and then pause until you're actually practicing it. Very simple. But, uh, you know, imagine if we did that only five minutes a day. It would make a difference, right? Five minutes every morning. Yeah. Strengthen my muscle. Strengthen the muscle, yeah. Thank you so much, Donald. Thanks, Nancy. Hi, Vivian. Okay, I think, yes, you can hear me now. Yes. Um, okay, this is funny because I've been coming here for ever since you started on Zoom and I never spoke even though I often had something to say, and today I'm speaking twice, <laughs> but um, the topics really hit me. Yeah. Um, so when the meditation started earlier, and and one of the things that was suggested was to go into something that had happened and, and inquire in that. Mm-hmm. That's um, what I'm going to say something about. So I, I had a situation um, that is repetitive in my life, unfortunately, where I really needed to be listened to. Um, And the only person available at the time um, just can't do it. Mm. And I've I've gotten past the judgment of the person and and I've learned to just calm down and not be so reactive when I keep getting interrupted because I don't want a conversation. Mm-hmm. I just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And even when I express that, it doesn't happen. Mm. So, and I thought that I had gotten over it because it's, it's a relationship of many years and it's a good relationship, but this particular thing is a real mm-hmm. problem for me. But I thought I had gotten over it and accepted it. And this just happened last night and I thought I was fine with it. Mm. And then I imagined it during the meditation, mm-hmm. and I was fine with it. 
I remember being, you know, like radical acceptance. This is how this person is. And then right when you ended the meditation, my entire body went into a mode of hysterical crying. I didn't actually cry, mm-hmm. but I could have. Yeah. It was like my face scrunched up, my whole body. The pain of it mm. came out in the body. Mm. And that was like, yeah, going deeper. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, Vivian. Uh, thank you for being willing to to uh, share that, and for really, for really the noticing, which is really what we're talking about. The noticing, it's a kind of inquiry. The noticing carefully and and being open enough to, really, to have that experience in a way, right? That because um, it, my my sense is that something like. feeling heard, feeling, quote-unquote, listened to. These, these go very deeply for almost all of us. You know, being seen, being heard, and so forth. I know they do for me. And so there, there's almost like layer on layer on this. And I think you were opening up to a deeper level. And it goes very, very far back in our being, you know, to being very young very often. And so it's just, it's like it, um, that particular theme can keep opening and, uh, and just, yeah, just to, as you were doing, you were, you were willing to be open to it. And, and, uh, or, you know, it was kind of unexpected, like you said, right? Yeah. And, but, but it can, um, but just to know that something like that, that, you know, there, you know, there's, layer on layer, there's depth upon depth in our being, there's material from the past that hasn't yet been ready to surface, that at a certain point can surface. So after it surfaces, is it possible for people to process something like this so that that terrible feeling doesn't happen? Well, you, it's... Um, uh, it's it's a long journey, let's say. You know, we I work with this a lot with the material on transforming the judgmental mind because we work with what we call limiting beliefs. That's sort of the deepest work we do with that work, which is a limiting belief might be, you know, no one hears me or I'm not listen, being listened to. And those can go back uh, very to very, very young times. And so there are ways of working with that, going into it further, and transforming it. It can take some time, but it is it is possible to, to do. I think I'm going to bring that up some in the next session, you know, in, in February. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks, Carolyn. Or Vivian. Carolyn's next, sorry. It's 12 o'clock. Maybe uh, last one, Carolyn. And if, you, if it's possible to be on the brief side, that would be helpful. So you're still muted, sorry. There you go. Nope, still muted. Still muted. There you go. I'm not... Now you're good. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Donald. This morning I woke up and I thought, my friend that phones me 
during happy hour, I have to find a more skillful way to deal with her mm-hmm. and me, mm-hmm. not just with just. So I ha- I need skillful speech. So Nancy asked, you gave the role play. I got it. Thank you. Great. Great. So yeah, that's um, role plays can be really really helpful with um, <clears throat> with relationships. <laughs> Right? It's really analogous to their sitting meditation. You know, we work with our mind, we develop certain qualities, but role plays can be real helpful. So I'm glad that that, that resonated and you can, can work with it. But one key would be don't um, take, um, don't go into the most difficult ones first. Practice with, uh, you know, kind of a moderate level of uh, difficulty on a scale of one to 10 especially start with practicing with the fours or fives or sixes before you go to the more difficult ones. So it's like we, we have to build the muscle, so to speak. Got it. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. Good to, good to see you again. Good Thank to you. see you. So... Thanks, everyone. And um, thank you, Carlita. Let's give... As they say, let's give some love to Carlita. Hey, thank, thank you so, you so much. much for for your for your support. And we'll close with um, really just two things or two processes. One is again bring to mind what has been helpful today. Could be related for many of us related to the theme of inquiry. But for us, for some of us, we just had an insight not even directly related to that that just came up. So see what's been helpful, whatever it is, and then bring in also your intention for the next week. Take a minute or so with that. Maybe it's to do do some of these role plays that we talked about. Role play a pause. Bring in three pauses a day, something like that. That could be very helpful. And then lastly, we'll close with the traditional ending, the dedication of merit. May our time together be a benefit to us be a benefit to those in our lives in known and unknown ways. And then beyond our own circles, may our time together be a benefit to all others. Ultimately, may it be a benefit to all beings, which includes us. So thank you, everyone. And if you'd like to, you could uh, unmute. We'll say goodbye. I'll do my little gesture. We can do get a little bit of movement practice.
Bye, Donald. Okay. Bye, Matt. Thank you so much, Donald. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. Greetings to all the different places. And again, thank you, Carlita. My pleasure. So nice to see you, Donald. Thank you. Yeah. Beautiful talk. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.